Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Week Out. This week we're in conversation with the environmental activist Saoirse McHugh. I caught up with her at a protest that was in Dublin on Saturday and we talked about the need for really detailed class analysis of, of rural Ireland from a left perspective and what that would look like. As always, this is a rolling conversation rather than a structured interview. So it's really just the two of us trying to grapple with this uh, subject as we're walking through Dublin and and Jordan, the, the protests as well. So yeah, so uh, sit back and I hope you enjoy our little talk. Okay, so that's live now. If that's okay, I'll just... Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cut all my commentary on people. <laughs> <laughs> the guards. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that I put up. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> but I suppose kind of like... Like where this kind of comes from is that it's a it's a follow-on from just those kind of conversations at the climate camp and then also um and like in this year you know and and like my thing just in my own kind of way is like trying to get this amorphous thing called you know kind of edgy left just wherever that is yeah. but but if we're just trying to get it to kind of see how kind of capital works in ireland how it actually works, because my feeling of it is that there's a tendency, a laziness almost, to kind of look at how it works in England or in America or in kind of France or something, and then assume that you can take those kind of class relations to Ireland. And when you do do that, you end up just looking at Dublin or Limerick or Cork because cities, it's all yeah. it's cities. You're like going, no, you're missing the whole kind of colonial yeah. element here, and that was not under kind of development. That was not a pre-capitalist kind of formation. That was extractive kind of capitalism, yeah. full on. Um, it wasn't like factories, but it was the same social kind of relationships were yeah. going on. And my thing is like trying to get that analysis in because that gives us more of a sense about what is actually kind of yeah. like going on. Yeah, yeah and I, I, th- I think, well, I don't know, but I think people tend to shy away from it because it's not class in rural areas is not as easily Usually it's not geographically defined. Like you can knock on a door in the middle of the countryside and it is a mansion. Like, and then right next door is somebody living in the types of destitution that you would, like seems like from the past. Um, so it's not as geographically kind of segregated as it often is in towns and cities. And there's also not, you know, almost everyone's kids go to the exact same primary schools. And there's not also the same kind of, um, because of that, I think there's not the same cultural things like in Dublin, for instance, there's very particular accents that are associated with really rich areas and deprived areas. And you don't really get that in the countryside. And as well, like the jobs are the same. You can have two men who are both farmers and they're worlds apart in terms of how they interact with their work and how their work controls them and controls the land. So, yeah, I've often it is almost it's just yeah it's just so much more difficult to to do and it would require i suppose real curiosity um and i also think it the left once again kind of whatever that means like has has run a real risk because they by ignoring the power and the political potency of class dynamics in rural areas it's really a lot of that has really kind of surrendered to 
the conservative all the way to the far right are now moving in on it. Those the, the conflicts in that kind of in in rural class dynamics. Yeah, I mean, like, like one of the things I would always be kind of focusing in on is like raising kind of class consciousness, but that doesn't mean raising social class kind of consciousness. And I think that's where it kind of breaks down the dumb because it's a very interesting point there around how there's not the same kind of social demarcation yeah. as you're going to get here. There's the same capitalist class relations, yeah. but they're not expressed in the same social class way as you would expect if you're looking at it from an urban kind of yeah. you know, framework. So I think kind of that's where you get something that, like, you know, we've both heard, I know you have anyway. Um, farmers are all the same. Um, if you have land, then you can't be working class. There's no understanding of well, how much land is is like is like middle class, like you know how much do you have to have? Yeah. Like if you say to someone from Dublin that you can't live on 50 acres or, or even 100 acres now, is it? Or I mean, you know what I mean? Like you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So or like you know even yeah even, even that point that like you know 50 acres in Mead is not going to be the same as 50 yeah. acres in like Gackle, you know what I mean? Like you know so that kind of understanding of of the very physical. Um, environmental elements of class in Ireland. Yeah. And again, I think that ties into your point there about, you know, about how it's been missed in terms of the far right, because yeah. the Michael Healy Ray's got it. Yeah. You know, and uh, who's your man like Tipperary now? To, to, to Matty McGrath. Matty McGrath. Yeah, Michael yeah. Fitzmaurice is, I think, a, a, an expert at it. And I, I suppose to go wider and Maybe I'm I'm jumping ahead. So perhaps actually, if you want to just give a brief rundown on um, what I've started referring to since going to your talks as the uh, the original inequalities in our in rural areas, which is the land division from the commission, the land commission, and how basically in Leinster, like it was created, it was created unequal. Um, so in Leinster, you have better land and bigger farms being given out and in the west primarily northwest um you've worse land smaller farms and then Munster is a kind of a it's smaller farms again but they do also have better land and what i've what i always think is that is it's still extremely uh i don't know like a hot topic in ireland but it's 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 constantly trying to be squashed down or hidden by a lot of farmers' organisations, for instance. And I think, so this is my theory, and I'd be interested to hear what you think. You know the constant hyperbole around, uh, this is the death of rural Ireland. This is a nail in the coffin to Irish agriculture. This is, like, it's this relentless, this will be the end of rural families. I think that's a constant, a way to constantly distract from that original inequality. Because, because that original inequality keeps coming up it causes splits in farmer organizations you talking to people there's like resentment it's always there and I think so always having a boogeyman of environmentalism or I don't I don't even know what else progressiveness like the ruining of traditions is an intentional way to try and distract from that which I think highlights to the left that that is a really um it's oh, they should be jumping like yeah I mean, it's like, really that's a red rich there's a red flag yeah. here being shown and saying like if they're using this for their own kind of purposes then you know kind of what's going on here i mean like last time you know it, but, but like last time 
that we talked, but you mentioned how the Land Commission files aren't even open. Yeah, and they should be. They should be. I was listening to three historians uh, hypothesizing on why they're not. Because it's, is it after 30 years, basically, the state should, should open be, these? It should be 30 years. So, so the state is claiming that these are active, um, active files or whatever, whatever they call them. Um, but one of the historians was saying, like, there are ways to deal with this. There are ways to deal with active issues um, and still be releasing these things to the public. But a lot of them uh, were speculating that actually it would cause too much controversy and it would bring up questions. One question that is always kind of at the front of my mind in Ackle is like questions of the commons. So many commons around the country, so say there were four commonage holders, have just divvied it up and now it's owned land. And like so many people were excluded from the land commission. You can see it all over the country. Some people, for some weird reason, have gotten um, you know, bigger land, and it, it really reminded me, actually, it made me think a lot about Emer Walsh's work um, and the sexual politics of land in Ireland. And one person was saying, like, one of the, the most um, controversial issues of this land, or controversial files in this land commission, in the land commission archive, might be, this is all hypothesising, the letters neighbours wrote to the inspectors about their own neighbours and why they shouldn't get land, but they should. But it's like the, it's like when the Berlin Wall fell in like 1990. The first thing they did, it was open up all the Stasi files, and that's exactly what they saw. Like he was ratting on Hill. Yeah. yeah. But they knew that that had to happen to move on. Yeah. Like we haven't moved on from this. And I think it does have to happen. Even though listening, I'm like, it wouldn't cause an issue. But I know myself, I would be there on the computer trawling through someone to see what someone's ancestors said about my ancestors. And I would instigate new grudges, and I'd be like, well, I will never speak to those people again. <laughs> That's good. I mean, like, like, my kind of entry point into that kind of the, the land thing was from, it's, it's very much from a macro view, and it still is. So um, this is about 12, 13 years ago, it, you know, kind of, it just kind of sitting down, it's it right kind of sins of the father. And um, I, was, I started researching around 2007. And um, this is on tape. If I feel bad, I can cut it out. But <laughs> this is my level. This is where I was at then. Um, I rang a friend of mine from Mead and says, says, don't laugh, but what a bullock. Uh. Because I hadn't a clue. Because I'm from Eden Moore, yeah. Dublin, and I had no fucking clue. Like, but I knew that this has to be important. It just keeps on kind of coming up. So it was 2007. But by back in 2011, I had a sense from a Marxist macro point of view still and what I noticed very very early almost that the class was written into the sides of the farms not in ways that would be social class but, but in terms of producing cattle for, for the, uh, the English market you kept small farmers raised cattle and um, sold them onto the fatteners who, who then maybe who would then maybe kind of finishers themselves or then kind of sold them on live uh, to kind of start the houses in, in, in Britain. And, and I saw a, 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 an industrial a production line here. Yeah. And what I noticed from the, the 1930s was that when the Land Commission was up and running, they did a survey as to, well, what's a viable farm? I need to, 
I need to check my notes. I think it was 35 acres. This is in like 1930, so. And that was just, uh, like, it was the absolute bare minimum for somebody to be sustainable. Even taking on board that 30 acres in Knuckle is not the same as 30 acres in, 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 in Meath. And, and the land which they gave out on parcels was less than that. Yeah. For that reason. Because if you have small farmers being viable, if they can hang on to the cattle, maybe they can sell them on themselves. And it would quite literally cut out that middleman. Yeah. But to keep that class relation, that was a colonial one, yeah. the state itself in, enforced that. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, that's my entry into it. And that, unfortunately, has, has remained. Because I mean, that's where I operate. I, I mainly operate at the macro. Yeah. So it's all systems. Yeah. Right? And you know that's important, but then you miss out on, on the other stuff. So yeah. you need both. Yeah, you know, course. clearly, you know. But I'm happy just to bring this to the table. Yeah. You know, because like no one else seems to be. No one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so I'm happy that I'm bringing something here, here to the table. But that's what I noticed, and then I noticed that the the organised institutional left, that is parties and and like trade unions just weren't interested in this, yeah. didn't understand it, I didn't want to learn about it, yeah. I didn't want it, but I'm also a, a kind of historian of the left in Ireland, mm -hmm. so I knew that in the 1930s, 40s and 50s, there was no demarcation line, yeah. uh, the left was making all these arguments, like, like Padder yeah. O'Donnell, he was saying this is hugely important, Fianna Fáil ran on a workers and small farmers platform for that fucking reason because I mean that was it you know so I mean like I'm I find it, I'm still trying to work out why was that lost and why is it still lost even now you know yeah. because like it was there there was an indigenous Irish Marxist understanding of agriculture in Ireland and that seems to have gone I don't know, like maybe I'm being kind of unfair, like you know. Well, it's gone from the left. It's very yeah. much present yeah. and live and there on the right, I think. Yeah. Like extremely so. And, and then what you see is, you know, nominally left wing. Okay, I'll just say it, you can cut it out. <laughs> if, it's, yeah. if it's like, for instance, I was just last night watching um, clips from the Sinn Féin Ordesh. Maria, the right, the left. And there was a fella, Johnny Mython, oh, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in Wexford, in Escorthy, which is a town, if I'm not yeah. uh, mistaken. Um, and he was talking, he, he, it could have been, it could have been a right-wing party. It could have been a far-right party. This, this, he was talking about how, like, blood sports are the backbone of rural Ireland and it's in our deal. Like, these are all sports of the gentry. Yeah. Like, I'm from Mayo. There's no Irish Greyhound racing thing in Mayo, Leitrim, Sligo, Cavan, Monaghan, Roscommon. Are we not rural? Yeah. Um, and, and you see this, this regularly is, is probably because there's no kind of active discussion about... And I keep saying rural when I mean agriculture, because I do think the yeah. two of them have been, like, squashed it's, together. It's hard to find a kind of term... Like, I find it hard, you know, same as yourself. But it looked, it looked to find a workable kind of terminology yeah. for the rural. Yeah. It's, it, it's not good enough, but it's hard to find. Yeah, and I want yeah. to stop using rural because yeah. it has. Look now at 
most politicians and any media, you can replace rural with conservative, landed and usually anti-environment and it makes the same thing. It makes the same sense. Like, like the blood sports being a rural thing, that's not true. They're all the blood sports are in towns, you know. Right, okay. And it's not, like it's, it's irrelevant but it, it's almost used in a, they don't mean that anymore. It's they're very much so signalling to landed conservative anti-environment people. Um, like I always think about it. Uh, do you remember when the Biodiversity Citizens Assembly thing came out? Um, there was a piece about uh, rural Irelanders or rural Islanders or whatever. I can't remember the phrasing. I think it was an RTE thing. Uh, terrified of Citizens Assembly recommendations. A big talk about people in rural Ireland and they didn't mention, never once was Evie New Sullivan, who is from Carnacon in Mayo, which I don't know if you know Connor, is in the no. middle of nowhere in Mayo. It, like I, I stumbled across it once by accident when I took a wrong turn <laughs> trying to get from Westport to Clare Morris and I was like, where am I? Um, like she's never referred to as rural. Rural woman Evie New Sullivan. Like that's never. So rural is always used to indicate particular uh, particular stances usually towards the environment but politically as well so I don't like using the term rural because I, it, but then I also I'm like wait if that's what I mean then I should say it but yeah because it, it is difficult to find uh, because it, it's just relentlessly used as a kind of um, if something's rural then you can't question it and it's somehow also in Johnny Mighton's speech somehow more purely Irish as well there's like a weird Devilarian thing around rural areas and I understand the language the Irish language did survive in quite remote areas but rural like people would be referring to rural and they're like they mean a three minute drive outside Kilkenny you know so yeah I don't I often don't know what to well I mean you know like but going back to your earlier point there, you dead about it just stay right wherever, yeah, because like that was one of the kind of reasons for this chat was that the right are raising kind of class consciousness, but it's in a right wing way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and they are very happy to raise some class consciousness. Fascism is a class conscious um, ideology. It's a very right wing one. Yeah. But it is still based on class, you know? So if we're not in there, making kind of these arguments, these fuckers will be, yeah. you know? And, like, you know, under rural, I mean, like, I, I find as well from the, from the left, which is almost like, it's a rural version of rural as well, isn't it? You know, but, but, but like, yeah. yeah, but how, if you say kind of rural, they seem, in their head, you know that they picture pre-capitalist formations. Yeah. And they're going, you need to read the Farmers Weekly, man. Yeah. You need to read how they go into, how to get more, more kind of productivity from the from the grass yeah. that they're growing and how does it extract more and more yeah. you know kind of value and how half of them work in Allergan as well like when you're talking about rural people they also work in like Metronic and you know Baxter and this stuff was, like that like in the 1926 kind of census um, you were able to list your work mm. so what happened was that there was more people working in Ireland than there were people in Ireland. Okay. And the reason being was that small farmers also were, worked in Allegan. Also worked, right? <laughs> yeah. So so what did they do? They then dropped that from every other kind of census then afterwards. Okay. So it's your primary kind of occupation. Yes. So what happens in the nineteen fifties and sixties when kind of sociologists kinda of show up, they look at all this and they see oh there's so many kind of small farmers and then there's these people over here who are working. Yeah. The, the fact that the small farmers are also have to work yeah. 
for a wage is lost from the stats yeah. and then it's lost and then it's lost from the analysis. Yeah. So then you get this idea that small farmers are some kind of pre-capitalist, yeah. you know, Paddy Kavanagh, trapped yeah. in a Paddy Kavanagh poem, like, you know yeah, what I mean? I like, oh, for fuck be nice, yeah. Oh shit, we're off, we're off, we're off. There is something, just to back to that though, I've always found as well, uh, because I'm always searching for the perfect story for rural areas, but there does seem to be, and it's, I often think it's, it's coming from a good place because like, there's good intentions behind it but almost like a noble savage approach to people in rural areas and I'm like what are you talking about like that everyone works in Allegan or you know I obviously I'm being glib there um, but yeah there's this it, it, yeah, it almost feels like first of all like we aren't everywhere like there's rural people in all movements everywhere in Ireland and yet we're on the left for somehow failing to tell any sort of like a compelling story about it that's not relying on ridiculous ideas that you know that you know rural people know what's best for the land and I'm like well we don't but no, some do some, some do don't. some don't yeah. yeah no more than anyone else like yeah. um but yeah it's it, it, there's almost and and I think that's quite linked to that weird devilarian thing about which also the far right use too that there's something pure and Irish and <laughs> it's every after every election you'll see that like after the 2016 kind of election when Michael and Danny Hillary both won seats and they're up doing their them feckers up in Dublin kind of routine these are two multi-millionaires yeah. They are fucking multi-millionaires. Yeah. From really, like, a very well-established, fancy family. Right, very, like, you know, and they're playing the RBGs and stuff. Yeah. up and yeah. and then those fuckers up and done. Yeah. They're playing the whole fucking thing ever. And they are completely, they are, like, multi-millionaires. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so... And their mother was, like, an international diplomat. What? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, their, their father met their mother. She worked, you'll have to fact-check me before you publish this, uh, she worked at the Syrian embassy in New York. Yeah. Yeah, they, these are not people from the bogs. Oh, that is hilarious. I never knew that. Yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah, look that up. I, I'm pretty sure it was the Syrian embassy. Um, but, like, this, this is not some, you know, country bumpkin in the big red Paul Henry skirt. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's... I do feel that there's that, like people, people, I'm going to say, in rural areas, in the countryside, are looking for a story that feels real about them and their connection with the land. Um, like I, and, and maybe I'm just talking about my own family, like dad from Ackle grew up in Ackle, his mother from Ackle grew up in Ackle, like, and then you just keep going back. Um, but all his brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles, who, like, I have kind of taken over the, I suppose, the farm at home. Um, and they're all very open to talking about things like rewilding and biodiversity and stuff. And, and looking for, yeah, looking for another story to tell. Um, because and another thing that's kind of often missed is that just as... Just as like there's you know a strong industrial industrial sorry I'm very distracted here. Yeah, yeah. Here, will we move a bit? Yeah. 
Like there's a really strong story around maybe uh, the urban working class. Um, the story in, in for a lot of country families is like one of like basically being peasants in living memory. And like people do want a, a way to to think about like the land because often this land is like a family member you know it's part of it, it's part of everything and I was talking to a friend of mine and I was saying I think I'm going to plant trees in one of the top fields and he was like and he is Mr. Environment and he was like oh seriously it took so much to get those fields green you know don't do that and it was and and so I, I've been thinking about my own family and you can cut this if it's all like a misty eyed rawmish um about how every generation of my family, of everyone's family, but my own family, have done what they needed to do, and the land has been involved in that. You know, sometimes it was growing food for people, then it ended up growing livestock, all responding to, you know, the current financial situation of the family and society. And now, looking like I'm moving forward to environmental kind of needs instead of that being the end of a relationship with land it's just trying to kind of shape it as the next step in a rela- because just like all of our ancestors before us did we now kind of also have to do what needs to be done for the current kind of climate um, and when I was trying to do this with my own family like my idea and I will never follow through on this because I'm an enormous flake my idea was to kind of create almost a picture book because like even on the land you can still see the ridges and everything going back through as many generations as I could go back and what the land was doing then and how it was organized right to kind of now and to situate the land in the current you know environmental collapse Um, but anyway sorry that is all to say that when I was doing this or starting to look at this I realized how few there's how few kind of narratives are out there that aren't explicitly kind of conservative or verging on far right in terms of land ownership and the relationship with the land. So when you say stories, like, like what do you mean by that? Because like it's not what I'm thinking of here, which is like stories as in kind of narrative, well, kind of, you know, kind of... Yeah, so the, so the story that's been, that if you read papers and you, you're from a, a house in... A country area and you, you maybe say you don't pay that much attention the story you get is either you're under attack from devious city people who want to take your land urbanites these eco environmental justice warriors the tofu crowd connor or uh well actually that's the main one you're under attack your traditions will be taken from you they hate everything rural like i think i've literally heard politicians say they hate rural people you know um and actually as i'm saying it that's like the main one that you hear and also some so and sorry and linked with that is rural ireland is extremely powerful and will stand up which is where a lot of the politicians are getting a lot of their power from you the fitzmaurice matthew mcgrath the healy raises i stand up for you i fight back and also then it's like yeah but you know we're under your yeah it's it's actually sorry it's the same one it's you're under attack this is the death of the place you need me to stand up for you there's nothing there without me and also you deserve 
you deserve everything, you shouldn't have to do anything else, you shouldn't have to do, like, farming shouldn't have to change, um, yeah. but m more than anything, you're under attack and you should be afraid. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean. You can cut this because I do ramble so much on this. No, 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 just see what happens. I mean, like, you know, it's all good. I mean, like, you know, it goes into that thing that, like, 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 rural Ireland, no more than the than kind of over here. It's, it's been lied to. Yeah. It's been lied to about itself. But how do you combat that and not be patronising, yeah. not be kind of aggressive? How, like, you mean, that's, that's where it gets into where it does a gap in terms of a progressive kind of thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, how do we step into this and not be hectoring, but, but, but also kind of bring them on then as yeah. well. And that, that's where I think there's a, yeah. there's a huge kind of issue, you know? Uh, there's a huge kind of gap there. But, you know, because it is kind of actually, oh, it's outside JP Morgan's. JP Morgan, the largest funder of fossil fuels in the world. Really? Yeah. Followed by Citibank HQ, which is over there, which is the second largest funder of fossil fuels in the world. So we're on the keys at the moment. So we're in the Docklands, just yeah. because it's all, it's yeah. all kind of good old. We're at a, a protest, if you haven't guessed. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't just like social house, like you know. Yeah. Oh, the neighbours. But um, okay, so they're the largest. Funders. Funder of fossil fuels in the world. I'm pretty sure it's JP Morgan Chase. They don't really give a shite. Like Citibank are always talking about, oh, well, the Green oh, Bank. Citibank over there, yeah. They're yeah. the second largest funder Citibank. of fossil fuels. Okay. And actually, Citibank's European HQ is over there. Really? Whoa. Um, and they're the largest foreign bank in Israel as well, Citibank. Yeah. Citibank are bad dudes. briefly to somebody at the climate camp yeah and we were talking about this yeah. kind of a left-wing what does what does a left-wing uh, appeal to rural Ireland look like yeah yeah uh, we, we didn't come up with it no but what I what we did talk about is how even where the left-wing appeals are being made they're still trapped by private property rights yeah like it's, it's, and that's almost becomes a foundational stone and I'm like no why would we limit ourselves? Now, I understand why, if, if you're trying to make kind of political gains on it, but in terms of shifting the Overton window, like, we don't have any kind of left-wing appeals to rule on, and we definitely don't have any far-left kind of really radical appeals. No. To, and rural areas used to be a hotbed for kind of radical land politics, and it's just, it's become, I don't know what. Yeah. It's like our imagination has been, has been completely taken over by land ownership. Yeah. Do you know Ed Davitt? No, is he relation, is he? He's a great grandson of Michael Davitt right. and he was telling me, like his family collect a load of the writings and stuff and have a lot of the Michael Davitt's writings. Oh, fantastic. And he was saying that Michael Davitt, like in his later writings, um, wrote about how he had hoped the Land League would get rid of landlordism. Oh, he was disgusted when he went for the private ownership. He was like, he went, he said, what a fucking stroke. He went, they, they cut the legs. Like yeah. he wanted a state ownership. Yeah. 
of all the land, you, and then you rent from the state. Yeah. And the and the middle class kind of land leaguers cut that from his yeah. fucking legs. And they did a brilliant job. Yeah, they did. Now. Yeah, I think yeah. we're still feeling the ramifications. Yeah, yeah, of that. yeah. No, no, no. Like, you know, like you know, he had a he he had a very strong. Like he was there, at, you know. At the time, saying, "Where did this come from? This was not part of our conversation," and it was just to kind of kill that whole kind of yeah. genuinely kind of radical, you know, view of it. And people were on board because they weren't asking for that, you know. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting, all right. Like I mean, like you know, sorry, but like you know, even going back to that, like I mean, like you know, this isn't, in fairness to ourselves, um, this isn't um, a new problem. Even 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 Pat O'Donnell yeah. is struggling with this. How do I? Head of a square this circle, and he and the keeps going for the soft and softy kind of approach. But it shows that even 80 years ago, someone, someone as as radical as as the Pat O'Donnell also had problems with this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, that's a, a, I suppose kind of that, you know that's my way of saying that we should kind of beat ourselves up. And, and we're not gonna we're not gonna leave this podcast no, with uh, no, no. But it shows that you know this is something that needs to be kind of addressed in some way. Yeah. O'Donnell kind of saw it. It wasn't really kind of addressed back, you know, kind of back then. Yeah. And that kind of land ownership just led to massive emigration anyway. It, it didn't yeah. solve any problems. Yeah. Apart from the big, uh, the big ranchers. And I, I do think, um, like rural areas more than urban areas as well, kind of create their own uh, consensus through emigration, even through like in the country, like people moving to towns and stuff. Oh, okay. So. What's the the only people who are left often in rural areas are people who own land, have big and have houses. Now it gets you. Because yeah. like it is impossible. Like whatever in Dublin, say you're kicked out of a house and you want to stay in Dublin, you'll move somewhere in Dublin, like if you can find somewhere. Yeah. But the people who don't inherit the farms, the people who don't inherit the houses, often leave. Yeah. You know, they go off and they live in Kildare or whatever. And so then what a real problem kind of I've I see is that what you have the people who are there are the people who are who do quite well off the current system um, and so it, I always think to remember like when you're looking at people who live in rural areas often not always but often you're looking at generations of heirs you're looking at generations of the first son now that's obviously a bit of a joke but it does drive out because because of I suppose the economics of these smaller areas like villages or parishes. You kind of end up with just the people there who who can be there, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so then everyone's sitting around and being like, "Well, this is great, actually, isn't it? We all have houses and land. And this is fine." Yeah, I mean, like um, even going back to this issue here, like you know, in terms of the environment, where. This isn't a left problem, but it's a you know it's an issue. It, it is there is that where the where the right wing are, are able to kind of tap in to those kind of fears. Yeah. Over the environment, that we have a very kind of neoliberal view yeah. of environmentalism. So you'll have the the kind of decision makers in the Green Party. I'm not saying the whole kind of Green Party. I I, I, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But certainly those who make the decisions are coming from a very neoliberal framework in, in terms of it. And their idea is to punish, be it um, working class areas in Dublin yeah. or rural areas, you know, yeah. uh, but, you know that are west of the Shannon. 
this gets into the common sense, you know. There's a there's a shared kind of common sense there. They'd be aghast if you told them yeah. this is what this is this is the logic of your yeah. of your common sense here. This is the logical outcome of your kind of common sense, but that is the whole kind of common sense. So you see it in you know in terms of uh, carbon taxes, um, which is a very kind of market price view of yeah. how to affect on a social change. Yeah. Very kind of neoliberal. It's all kind of market price. You know that that you know people have have infinite amounts of money, so they can pick and choose yeah. whether to do these things. And you can't if you don't have a car in, in like Royal Ireland, you're fucked. Yeah. You you have to drive. Yeah. So what's the consequence of that then is to have decent kind of infrastructure. So that means kind of raising taxes. And the Greens I've yet to see that yeah. being used everywhere. Their whole thing around kind of carbon taxes is that we, we won't actually use this for the infrastructure. No, sure, yeah. so much of it goes back into agriculture, which is... Oh, right, okay, okay. So much, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's ring fence to go back, and, and that's kind of one thing we haven't touched on as well, is, oh, what we did briefly is that, like, a farmer, just like rural, uh, descriptively is almost useless. Um, like, like a, a farmer. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and and it, they are because because there there is two things really happening. Like you're talking about in areas like West Clare, a lot of places, a lot of and a, a lot out in West Clare would be farmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On small kind of areas of land. Um, now there's a few big good farms out there, like big kind of like industrial farms, as you would yeah. say. Um, but yeah, so so there's both things happening at once in that there's an extremely powerful agricultural industry with extremely powerful farmers, the ranchers, I suppose you would call yeah. them, that still exist alongside, um, like what we were talking earlier, the much smaller farms. And it's, yes, I, I often think, yeah, I suppose I did mention this earlier that that, that conflict that the IFA particularly is always trying oh. to manage. Because they're super, they're really aware of that conflict. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of like, in terms of governments, like the IFA is one of, I'd say the best lobbyists in the country, the most powerful lobbyists in the country. Like a lot of these um, neoliberal policies are not bad for all agriculture. You know, and actually most agriculture is driven by those self-same neoliberal policies. Um, so sorry, yeah, just, just just to kind of say that, yeah, you'd almost need two different terms to talk about two different types of, at least two different types of farming. Um, because neoliberalism and neoliberal policies are also driven a lot by the agricultural industry in Ireland. Oh, absolutely. I would completely say that. Oh, I I sound like a tinfoil hat person when I start talking to people about the IFA. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand. They are running this country. They're the ones from the streets. I'm like, they are. I'm like, you can't. Don't tell them anything. Like, I'm talking to one girl about a rewilding project. She's like, my uncle's in the IFA. I might run it by him. And I was like, you shut your damn mouth. Are you crazy? Tell them nothing. Tell them nothing. Like, I remember once being at a meeting about like slow food or something, and I said. Half tongue in cheek, I said, just before we start, where's the IFA plant in the room? And the guy at the back puts up his hand and we're still laughing. He's like, I'm not a plant though, I just want to hear what you want to say. 
and it's, but it's kind of a joke but also like they're ex yeah they're extremely they're an extremely effective lobbying organization definitely absolutely you know and you know and again it's it's for a a multi-billion euro industry yeah i mean this is not like there's not going to jump change yeah i mean this is there's serious money being made here you know um and a lot of kind of things again like you know there's i mean you know this when you think of another vastly underrated book is by chris epper which he wrote in the 1980s called the ruling kind of trinity and it's the only real attempt it's, it, no not the only that's wrong it's, it, it's one of the few when it's any it's only one of the best attempts to merge that we have these kind of capitalist kind of class relations, but what are the particular social class relationships that have emerged out of it? Yeah. And he does a really good, a really good job of of getting that the the farmer, the the shopkeeper, the the kind of publican, the priest, and how that kind of works. In the 1980s, this yeah. isn't the 1880s. He's like he's talking about uh, Banshee Bay in the in the 1980s, okay. and then he brings it into kind of um, kind of national politics then as well. Yeah. But he shows that the, the IFA is able to have power because it's not just about it is a social organisation. Yeah. But, but it is that kind of it, it's able to leverage the, those kind of social class and cultural class kind of dynamics that are there as well. And that are completely unexploited by the left. I was with, uh, and actually I'll have to text her after this to make sure it's okay to share the story, but uh, do you know Orla Murphy? I know her name. She's um, an activist, uh, Just Stop Oil, I think she's with now. And she was going on primetime. And she's from a dairy farm outside McCroom, I think, or somewhere in Cork. Anyway, the producer came in. Remind me to double check this with her. The producer came in, this lovely South Dublin lady comes in and her dad's standing there leaning against the thing. And she was like, oh, and you're a dairy farmer. And he was like, yeah. And she goes, well, this must be weird that she's all into the environment then, isn't it? And he was like, why would that be weird? And she was like, oh, well, cause you know, and I was just like, disrespect. Like, like she clearly like had bought hook, line, and sinker into this idea that all farmers are Michael Fitzmaurice's caricatures. Yeah. Um, and I've also had a, a Fine Gael councillor. I was on a radio debate with him, and he's from a town, and he goes to me, "Well, it's all right for you in the leafy suburbs." And I was like, "Are, are you high?" But but it's this: if you're not anti-environment all of a sudden you're not considered not just rural but you're not allowed to be from farms either yeah. um, and now neither of those people I'm saying I'm not saying either of those people are on the left but I worry the left also slips into that kind oh, of like, I, like I, I completely can agree with you like you know going back to one of my kind of bugbears again going back to where I swim in that kind of macro field you know just a kind of a structural kind of shape or whatever it's not there and they're going like this is Ireland, lads. This is not Manchester, yeah. right? This is not England. This is Ireland. Yeah. We and it is capitalist, and you're missing that point. You're like you're missing how these are capitalist class relations. They're also kind of colonial ones yeah. that are still here post-partition, yeah. because they were the, they were embedded into the state itself. They were they were enforced and replicated by the state itself as the way to do things. Yeah. It became the state's common sense, yeah. and it affects everything. 
Yeah, so I suppose what has to happen is something else has to become common sense. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So again, you know, and, and just to tie into, like, you know, how, how, how I would see that is through, you know, kind of raising kind of class kind of consciousness, not class awareness. What's, class what's the difference, sir? Well, class <laughs> awareness is I'm from the flats or I'm from, okay, yeah. or I'm from Eden Moor or I'm from kind of rural, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's your kind of social class awareness. Yeah. No, class consciousness is like, you know, what are the, what are the relations okay, of, yes. of production and what are the systems that are in place to support those relations of like, production? And you have kind of capitalist kind of class relations. What are the institutions? What's its institutional expression? How is it able to reproduce itself? And part of it is true kind of those stories. Yeah. And part of it is true just there's a coercive element in the state itself, yeah. in the IFA, yeah. in, in like rural Ireland, in like urban Ireland. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it's about kind of challenging them. And it's very, very difficult. Yeah. And, and, and they, like if we're going to take the kind of the right and the far right narratives, agricultural production, I think they're so potent because there is elements of um, like truth. Ha, ha, truth. Ha, ha, farmers don't have a lot of agency, really. And, and so all these things about like, they're out to, like being out to be gotten yeah. and being under attack like I do always think in terms of like um, your interaction with your land which I, I, I know is more specific than just rural or Irish people but yeah there, there are elements that the right are correctly identifying in terms of like this is being taken away from you like a lot of agency has been taken away from farms over the last however many 30, 40, 50 years um, to service these neoliberal kind of things and so that, like yeah, they're there, those things. Public guard, that is the handiest Saturday they'll ever have. Yeah. It's a public guard unit at a climate action march. Well, wait till we get to Brian Thomas and we'll be like, fucking <laughs> kicking in the windows. That's it. Can you get that fake floor? Yeah. Yeah.